As retailers entered the lockdown in March 2020, a small, diverse group of Canadian thought leaders gathered to virtually speculate, collaborate, and share their insights on the waves of disruption facing retailers. The Business of Retail podcast emerged as an unflinching strategic alternative to the conventional discourse, revealing challenges in the headlines and exploring new, unconventional paths for all facets of the retail industry. Now, here's the panel. Welcome to the Business of Retail. I'm David Ian Gray. We've got Gary Newbery, Craig Patterson, George Minakakis. We've been doing these short, sharp segments weekly right now because of the intensity of this moment, the holiday season, and everything that's disrupting all at once. One of the things that comes up at this time of year repeatedly, and it's coming up again right now, I'm getting media calls on it, is this notion of shopping local. There's movements around it. We hear consumers talk about it, and certainly the media is all over that. We feel there's some layers of this we have to explore. If this is going to be a real conversation, we have to get real with the dissection of it and what we're talking about. So we're going to dive into that today. George, you and Gary brought this up, this notion of shopping local. How much of this is real? How much of this is virtue signaling? Do you have two points here? One, trying to reach out and sensitivity to a lot of smaller retailers and local shops that are struggling and trying to get consumers out there to support them. That's one. I think the other part of it is, you know, to, to buy local, you know, this it sometimes can be really confusing for a consumer because what is local? And I, I don't even know where my grapes come from. I mean, let alone sometimes. So I think that that's a challenge. You know, I, I think shopping local means for the consumer means that I'm going to buy at a local retailer who's could be struggling and I'm going to help reboost the local market. I've seen that shop local message around the world, by the way. It's not just us in North America. It's global. And it really is referencing to helping these local shops just come back to life. Um, question, is it enough? Will it last? Will it bring them back after Christmas? No one knows. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a tough challenge. I love that as our point of departure, because and I think maybe if we have some uh, journalists or media listening to this episode, it might be an instructive because we use a lot of short forms around this topic to signal deeper meanings. You, you had about three in one sentence. When we talk about small retail, is that what we mean about local? Because, uh, you know, I could argue that Purdy's Chocolates headquartered in Vancouver is a Canadian owned family-run business that happens to be across Canada. But in Vancouver, would you call that a local business or would you say they're too big? And would you, and I'll have a follow-up, Gary, on this one. If you are like a one or two store uh, operation, but you're really, really good and you start to grow, at what point do you outgrow the cachet of local? Shopping local can mean in your local neighborhood. Yeah, there's just so many ways to, to to dissect this, and I personally, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with your shopping local to, to support your local community from collapsing and continues to keep retailers alive and employees in, employed. I think that that's the real challenge at the table from from my point of view. At Retail Insider, you guys cover a lot of the broad issues like this. Uh, what's your take on this notion of shop local? I guess there is a difference between, you know, 
your local retailer and uh, an independent because Aritzia, again, if we're just going to focus on the Vancouver market or Lululemon for that matter, they're all local retailers, but they sure as heck aren't small. Let me throw another wrinkle in there. Uh, if the product is Canadian made, does that matter? So for example, with Purdy's, they make all their chocolates in Canada and they ship within Canada. You mentioned Lulu or Aritzia. Yes, they're Canadian headquartered, but they are bringing product in from China. Again, I just want to, I think what we need to do is get real about the subject a little bit, and then we can repack what we think this should mean, as opposed to what it seems to mean. I guess the question is the manufacturing, because in theory, you could have an international retailer selling Canadian-made products, which isn't really happening, but I guess that's just, in theory, it could. But uh, I, I would love to support made in Canada where possible. I mean, it's not going to be feasible for the most part because it costs more money to make things here than in a place where people make a lot less money. Now, Le Chateau, apparently, quite a bit of the product was was made in Canada, but that didn't seem to be embraced so much by the shoppers for, I guess, the fact that company went bankrupt uh, or was shut down. That was a made in Canada brand, uh, which was not small. We had a pretty thriving consumer product base, especially around fashion and some other items and uh, home decor and things like that and furniture. But now the price differential between what you, for a quality point and offshore has got good quality now. Yeah. So, for, so how do we compete? I guess, Gary, maybe that's where you can step in a little bit. Like, you know, if, if we want to, um, let's just stay on Canadian made for a moment. Cause I'm not clear. That's what the media speaks of when they say shop local, but let's say we're talking Canadian made. How do we navigate that? Are there categories where we could maybe pull that off compared to global options or what are your thoughts? Well, one, one thought that comes straight to mind is furniture. If we uh, can cast our mind back a few months when the Furniture Manufacturing Association of about four manufacturers marched to, to Ottawa and said, it's so unfair, these Far Eastern imports coming in, they're so much cheaper, how do you expect us to survive? And uh, the government responded to that by whacking on something like 300% tariffs onto these products. What it didn't do was discover this stuff that you make, does it contain the designs that people want to buy? And if if you were able to get more volume, because we stopped the thing from coming in, one, have you got the designs that people want and two have you got the capacity to scale the government didn't ask those questions it just put the tariffs up and then I, i'm ending up with sticker shock because the stuff i do want to buy is now elevated by two or three times because of the duty that's incurred on, on top of that what i i think about this whole area of shop local i think that as consumers we, we'd like to to do something positive with our money in our choices. And we maybe go into an independent. And increasingly, as we get closer to Christmas, bearing in mind their supply chains are typically maybe not local, they're actually quite distant from, from China. Their shelves will become thinner and thinner. And they may be able to rush around and visual merchandise that in some kind of pleasant way. But basically, if I go into your store and I'm looking for a certain widget and it's not there, but the big box store around the corner, which may come from China or maybe even local, certainly North America, and it's price pointed correctly, I'd like to do this. They haven't got it. I'm going to go here. It's Christmas, and I did put something under a tree. I think that the whole thing is very confusing because 
how do we know what's really made in Canada or what's just assembled in Canada or what is actually raw material and processed and created into a finished product here in Canada? There's so many dimensions on this. And when I say local, am I, when I go to Home Depot, which is a Canadian retailer, but run from the US or do it local independent who is buying stuff from China? It's, it's just so many dimensions of this. When you step outside your door, wherever you live and you see those local shops, that is local. I don't think it's really meaning anything else. I, I agree with, with David that it gets confusing because the media has different points of view on what this means. But for me, you know, when I when you tell me to shop local, I think of I think of e-commerce as well. You don't want me to shop on e-commerce because it's more convenient. Coming out of the pandemic, the shops were closed for the longest time or restricted. Now they're open supposedly full-time, they're restricted now by what inventory they have and what the length of time that they can operate with the inventory they own, and hopefully that they can sell it so they can actually make enough revenue to make it through to the end of this quarter and get their next supply to come in so they can continue to operate. To me, that's what shopping local will do if everybody participates in it. I don't think it matters where they bought it from. I don't believe that the purdies of the world or the, the Home Depots are going to suffer because of everything else. It's these smaller shops, independently owned, that are the ones that are struggling. And by the way, there are 1.1 million small businesses, 1.2 million small businesses in Canada. I don't know what percentage of those are retailers, but they make up most of the workforce. So those failing, we don't support those local businesses. There's, it, the impact is significant. George, just to make sure I'm super clear, when you say walk out your front door and buy what you see, if I'm in a suburban kind of mixed-use complex and what I see is shoppers, drug mart, plus, 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 that's that's good enough. If you buy from Mark's, from Mark's ties or Mark's suits, and I don't, it doesn't matter if there's a local shop. Look, there's a, there's a place called Art Lee's in Oakville. They're, they're closed. They've been open for the longest time. This place and this owner has such class. What he did for his customers was really unique. He said to them, hey, yes, we're shutting down after so many years of service, but I found another men's retailer that you can rely on and get the same quality of goods and everything. Where do you hear that? I saw your note on that. And I, I'd like to just share, like, you know, for listeners, where my normative side is, like what I think should be as opposed to what is. But we got to know the what is before we can change things. What I'd like to see, or it's two-parter, I agree with you that there is value inherent in the independent class of retail. I think there's a lot of crap independent retail, though. There's a lot. It's because it's a Darwinian soup, you're getting everything. But the, the best ones are terrific. And they're not going to stay terrific just because they do some good things. There's a lot of forces at play that we've set up structurally that make it hard for, for them. So I understand the notion of an idealized local. If, if the signaling of it is the best of those, like your Art Lee example, then I think there's a, there is a desire to go and support that. There are a lot of crappy ones too. The other thing though is, I remember when Chip Wilson had two uh, Lululemon stores, one on Robson Street, one on West 4th. That was pretty independent, right? The notion being that, Retail is still one of those plays where it's rare that you just start with a bang. Like usually you start with one, then two, then five, right? And so 
I get concerned in Canada as a Canadian, where is the next one coming from if we erode that opportunity? And the third thing is what you just said, there's employment, there's a ripple effect in the economy. And there's a group out here, Loco BC, Amy Robinson's group, and they've done some really good study on this. It's well done. That shows the economic benefit of when money's spent with a locally headquartered organization, how it ripples through. And uh, George, you were talking offline about a particular global retailer who, like so many others, have repatriated their head offices to the States. We've got a whole other crisis of we're just losing head office type jobs in retail. I'll, I'll stop now because I'm sure Gary and, and Craig have their good reasons as well. But I, I'd like to get back to the virtue signaling before we wrap the, the conversation. Maybe I don't fully understand what Shop Local is. I think I know, but, and, and this is me as being the editor-in-chief of Retail Insider, but we've, we, so we've certainly talked about Shop Local in the publication. And one of our marketing people is also the head of Digital Main Street, which is actually a platform that specific, or an organization that specifically supports Shop Local movements, as well as certainly getting those small retailers and other businesses online. I mean, that's their, their shtick. But nevertheless, it's about local retail. I mean, my thought when we would hear governments say, you know, the mayor of Toronto shop local, he was saying this on the news. My thought was kind of actually what George had said in terms of going out and shopping at your local stores. But then my thought was somewhere within there, you want to sort of support the mom and pops a bit more than you would your local shoppers drug mart that would be on the corner. I'm in a big city, so I've got big brand stores, but you know, you, you get your local, say, either your ethnic neighborhoods in your big city or your main street retailers if you live in a smaller town or community. That's what I would look at, I think, as a local retailer. Because if you think about it, who's working in those stores? I mean, you're supporting an owner that may live in the local community. Uh, you've got employees that are working there that are local. I mean, that's probably not going to uh, be that different anywhere if it's a store, physical store, that's going to have people working there. But nevertheless, I was looking at a, at a locality. I wouldn't really think so much and I wouldn't, nor would I expect it to be local products, but I would certainly think of it as a store that's in my community that may have an ownership, which um, has a locality to it as well, uh, as well as products. And it's probably more brick and mortar than online. I mean, certainly online is going to be there, uh, whether or not that's an Uber Eats type of situation or otherwise for food. But uh, that that that's that was my take on it. But now I'm second guessing myself. Why are you second? <laughs> why are you second guessing yourself? Well, because I don't know where the parameters are. Like I don't know where it begins and ends. You know, you, we could also throw in this notion of sameness, like as a differentiator. And I know a lot of mall people have privately lamented the fact that the malls all went to national leasing because they felt they lost that that localized differentiator when you have some really strong indie. Um, but I got one for Gary and I, I was getting this a few months ago from the media talking about the supply chain issue we've been facing saying, well, isn't this a great reason to shop local? And I said, well, it is if that local retailer is buying locally made product, but what if they're buying from China and they went, Oh, so Gary, how, how does it fit in on a supply chain basis? Independence are likely the, the, the bulk as a population are likely to have uh, a view that they would get stuff cheap from the Far East. And, and up until maybe six months ago, that, that supply chain was still relatively stable. 
But what we we've seen over the last six months is that's been highly disruptive. And you've got you know the big companies of Walmart's, Home Depot's, the IKEA, even Canadian Tire have, have rented their own boat and have basically taken that capacity out of the out of the system. So it's a mad scramble to get on a, another boat along with lots of other independents trying to order stuff. My thoughts are this. Uh, if we're relying on independents and small businesses to reinflate our economy, to they're the guys who are typically you know, turning up at football matches, at hockey things with like beef burgers and stuff. You don't often get that done from large companies. The, the small independent business of their support in the community. It, I think that the whole concept of buy local was trying was really saying return the favour. I think it's time for us to return that favour, especially if we've uh, been brought up in that culture. But if the staffing issues that we talked about last week can't be solved and the inventory is going to dry up. And this isn't just about independence. This could be uh, some of the less profitable, less um, compelling chain stores. It, it begs the question, are we actually overstored? And if we're overstored, no matter of how much buy local you think, we're going to have our, our choice crammed into a more rarefied set of stores to go to, to to buy local. So I think there's some really big implications. You know, buy local, go out and spend in your local community for sure. Please do. But I think that we, we've got to be aware that the, the other forces are in place and how long they may last. But many weaker businesses will just fall by the wayside. And that will there'll be a for want of a better way of expressing a market correction. And we will have less choice ahead of us. Gary, it's great points because for me, when I hear you say the, the public's being told to go buy local, okay, that, if you're telling them to go and buy from a local shop, you know, that's you know, an independent or whoever it is, point is that they're not selling local products. That's my point. Right? They're not, right? The majority are not. Everybody has, has a supplier. And there are maybe large suppliers who have a lot of products that are they're bringing in and they're selling it, but they're all that is all being the majority, 90% of it is being shipped from overseas to one major distributor who sells stuff. So it's the media out there who doesn't understand retail and is making those statements is adding confusion to the equations. Because when you go to an independent, for example, thinking that you're going to buy local and they have no product, well, that's because there is no product to be bought. And their shelves are, are are bare, so it's no it's no different than a large chain. Although I will say that sometime I don't know maybe in March we're going to be talking about the great inventory glut. Mm-hmm. Your ship will finally come in, and we're not going to know what to do with this stuff except maybe store it, or liquidate it, or discount it. Store it for the next for the next Christmas season, I guess. So folks. We're not getting Christmas presents now. You'll get your 2021 in 2022 of December. You know, it's just, I, I think there's a there's an issue here. The, the issue is you want to support small businesses that are struggling. That's local. And you want people to buy local product. Somehow somebody's tied the two together and it doesn't work. As a guy teaches and studies consumer behavior, I think we use the term virtue signaling as a pejorative, but it's still signaling. So I think if we think about what they're telling us, it's that they do want to have this idea that they're supporting something that's so-called made in Canada. They're not taking the time necessarily to think, is that a head office in Canada? 
it, but it's foreign owned product. Is it big, small or whatever? But the whole idea is they're trying to do something for their community that they live in. I think any brand, any size needs to be taking note of that because when we used to research this, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it really didn't matter. Like people would say stuff, it wouldn't matter. I think there is a movement right now that's starting and, and it hasn't hit a tipping point, but there's enough going on out there of momentum around this that if there was locally made a product available within a price band that's competitive, it, we know it's not going to be price par, but if it's competitive, I think you're going to see people doing some switching. I think any size company should be really paying more and more attention to this and figuring out if you're a chain, how do you get some more locally Canadian made product on the shelf, right? Is it even available though? Can, can you think of a fashion brand made in Canada right now that isn't horribly expensive? Craig, you hit the nail on the head. Like we, and Gary, this is your area. Like how is it possible over time that we can scale up some of those options where there's a big enough supply and it can be done at a cost that yeah. is relatively reasonable? I think we learned from our chat with Arlene Dickinson some time ago. She's there to try to help businesses get over that hump and get into a, a sizable position. But what often happens is when they get to that size, somebody south of the board says, we take it, they take the sales, strip it all down, and they package it off and, and do it south of the border. So there, there are some natural hazards of trying to scale in Canada. You draw the attention of perhaps more financially uh, superior businesses and of scale south of the border. But great example of Arlene, and she's supporting that, you know, and I think what she's doing is say, well, go for the premium product. If it's going to cost more, then make it the higher quality items and the innovative items. Hmm. Um, and I think that's what we got to be thinking of in Canada. And, ho and hopefully get, I'd like to see government start to take this a bit more seriously, that consumer product has a strategic role to play in the Canadian uh, culture and Canadian psyche and the Canadian and, economy. And Mattel has moved its production. It's split it between China and I think it's Mexico. You think, great, you know, that gives it some resiliency because it can make stuff locally and feed it into the market. The, the speed to market obviously superior given the current situation. But guess what? There's a vital component. It's called resin. And there's a world shortage of resin. So it doesn't matter where you put the production. If your raw materials are still made in one factory in China, you're stuffed. When we're thinking about supplying local, uh, which is the extension of buying local, is yet we can manufacture, we can assemble things, but we still have to find a way of scaling the raw material source so we can actually raw material in the local market, or at least in the national market. So there's enough people buying that that makes makes it worthwhile transferring the production of the raw materials, uh, wherever that might be, into Canada. So you have to build it these tiers. Obama said, we can move factories over just like that. That's easy. It takes another two or three years to actually build up the infrastructure to, to support those businesses. I think the main message here is, if there are people out there that care about this notion of shop local, I think there has to be some attention paid to what do you really, really mean by that? Because we do live in a global world. We do live in a world where consumers are on budgets, a lot of them, and they have to watch what they're, they're spending. And we have to have supply that we're trying to get. There's all these layers to it. And there's often a synonymous feeling that buying local is ecologically friendly in some way and it may not be so 
I think understanding that would then do a lot of good to the shop local movement to start to hone in on what really matters. But I think for the rest of us out there and at the bigger chain level, there is something important happening here. And I think if you're in government or if you're at, at you know, one of the big boxes, you need to start thinking about this from your lens. What are consumers telling you and how can you meet them halfway on this? And it might be trying to encourage some local manufacturer assemble uh, or there's some other way you're going to go about it. Or you're going to say without apology, that's not who we are. Um, but we're in a very murky area. I think as we head into holiday, we're going to see how many shoppers follow through on their claim that they're going to buy local and shop local. We'll see. Uh, I think it'll be up over last year. I think it'll still be the vast minority. On that note, we're going to say bye for now from the Business of Retail podcast. I'm David Ian Gray. We've got Craig Patterson, Gary Newbury, and George Minakakis. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Business of Retail podcast, an unflinching strategic alternative to the conventional industry discourse. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please go to www.thebusinessofretail.ca.